0: Means these technologies are now here and starting to be used, or just around the corner, from Bitcoin to artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more.
1: Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with Future Tech Podcast. I have a guest from Singularity University, one of the faculty members named Barry O'Reilly. Barry, how are you doing?
2: I'm doing good. Thanks for having me on the show.
1: Yeah, and, and uh, you know, just for listeners, we have uh, we've interviewed probably 20 different members of uh, Singularity University. Each of them is extremely unique, very interesting, involved in all kinds of great stuff.
2: It's an interesting group of people at Singularity and definitely one of the reasons, not only do I enjoy working there, but it's definitely one of the reasons that brought me to that community. So happy to share my lessons learned and the mistakes I've made along the way with everybody. So hopefully they can make better mistakes and do better things.
1: Yeah. Well, tell me a little bit about your background and, and how you came to Singularity and then let's talk about what you're doing there.
2: Yeah, so my my background is pretty varied. I uh, my first job ever was working uh, when I was in university. I came over to San Francisco. I grew up in Ireland. My first job was working in a company called Citysearch.com. I don't know if you're familiar with that company. Mm,
1: I've heard of it. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Well, Citysearch were putting like companies on the internet back in the sort of late nineties. And um, it was really interesting. We were sort of building websites to put people, businesses on the Internet so they could sell their products and services and just be on the Internet. And that sort of first got me into excited about technology and its impact on society and also business model and product development. And then from there, I sort of started to experiment with different types of businesses. I was part of a mobile games development company. Just after Nokia had Snake on the phone, and um, the new versions of phones had really small, Microprocessors on them, and you could run games from the sort of 50s and 60s on phones. So we started building mobile games um, for these telecommunications companies, and, and it's pretty fun with the technologies. Again, still fairly raw, but we were we we built this Tamagotchi-like game, which was the most popular game in the UK network, and our company sort of got pretty uh, a lot of exposure. So. Businesses like Sega and Disney were ringing us uh, to build these products, and we were like four people in a room in in northern Scotland trying to figure out how to do this stuff. So I've been really lucky to have lots of interesting experiences with technology breakthroughs and the impact that technology has had on products and services and society. And really, I've just built it up from there. Uh, Currently, I, I work for myself now working and coaching a lot of senior executives from Fortune 500 companies about how to adopt technology and uh, leverage it for their businesses, as well as their growing their people and teams. And that's really what brought me to Singularity. I was inspired by the mission to educate, inspire, and empower leaders with exponential technologies, but also address humanity's grand challenge. And and th- the social impact part of this has always been a huge part for me, uh, which I really enjoy and enjoy. Um, could enjoy working with Singularity both on their accelerator programs, executive programs, and uh, symposiums all around the world.
1: So, what are what are some of the grand challenges you're seeing that businesses have when they're looking at or considering new technology? I mean, where is the the breakdown of the problem that you need to help work on?
2: Well, well the the big challenge for most organisations is they often uh, have a sunk cost fallacy with the technology or the business models that they currently have today. They're so invested in making things work because they've made investments in making them work that it's very difficult for them to sort of break out of their mental paradigm about what the impact of new technologies could have in the way that they serve their customers, they, they solve their business model problems, and, and reach a broader audience. And for most leaders in organizations, the first time when you talk about a new technology, the initial reaction is inertia, or you know they'll they'll believe it when they see it. Um, and, and then as we start to see these technology breakthroughs start to happen, you know, what we actually really understand is that they need to believe that these things can happen before they can actually see them happening. And um, you know, there's lots of topical things like that happening at the moment. I think cryptocurrencies is probably one of the things that are really starting to gain more traction and visibility for businesses. Um, and they're starting to understand the underlying capability of a blockchain technology and how that starts to help them understand that they can have more efficiencies in their business, that they can have a higher fidelity of information, a trust and sharing of information, which will ultimately lead to faster business decisions for them and and cheaper operating costs. But it's still all these technologies feel far away, but really, because it's exponential growth, they're much closer than they think. Um, And that's sort of some of the interesting problems you try to help them understand.
1: What technologies? would Specific use cases. I mean, you know, can you give me some specifics?
2: Well, like you know, if we if we sort of build towards, if you think back, um, one of the first exponential technologies I think I was working on in the early 2000s was cloud adoption. You know, previously organizations had to spend millions of dollars on infrastructure that was uh, to host their websites, their services that often was very rarely used. The utility of that investment was very low. Um, And then we had these new introduction of uh, cloud technology, which essentially allowed organizations to hire technology to do a job for them only when they needed it. And they didn't have to pay millions of dollars up front. They paid based on usage. So all these sort of overinflated investments that weren't leveraged started to go away. You could suddenly pay uh, by the second, by the amount of capacity you needed, and then on demand for services that started to become a utility in themselves. So I, I was building a, a new service for the largest TV station in the UK. And they had this problem where they had a very famous chef. His name's Jamie Oliver. You might be familiar with him. And um, every time yeah, at heard. the end of his show, yes, yeah, so at the end of his show every week, what he used to do was say, you know, if you want to go and get the recipe for, for the show today, go to the website now. And their website would go from somewhere in the region of a couple of thousand people to a couple of million people hitting that site at the same time, just after the show ended. And this would cause, invariably, their website to go down. If they wanted to fix it, it would cost them millions of dollars. But what we were able to do was use and build new products and services with them and leverage technology like cloud infrastructure that would let them scale their infrastructure on demand. So when they knew that Jamie was going to say at the end of the show, go get my recipe, planned out their capacity on demand for that short period of time and serve all their customers and give them great experiences, let them download the site. And then when ten minutes later after everyone had downloaded the recipe, they could scale it back down. All right. So it was it, it optimized the way that they did business, delivering great outcomes for their customers, made it more efficient because they were only spending the money they needed to at the time. Um, But it changed the way that they started to see that technology was a capability of their business rather than a cost center. And these are big breakthroughs for companies. Uh, Similarly, now I coach a lot of the leadership teams from uh, one of the top biggest banks in America. And how banks have started to adopt this idea of cloud infrastructure to change the way that they deliver to customers, run cheaper, faster, higher quality services is really starting to impact. Not only the revenue that they're saving, but the speed and quality that they're delivering new products and services. So this 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 is stuff that was happening in the 2000s. You know, following that, I I started to get into um, the Internet of Things. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a big advocate of when these new technologies come out, it's important that you experiment with them and understand their capabilities. And for most businesses, they're afraid to experiment. They're afraid to trial and learn and make mistakes and and use the information they've learned from their experiments to improve the products and services that they want. And so the interesting thing necessarily is not so much the technology, but it's the way that it helps you solve a customer problem in a very different way. And so you hear too much of the buzzword about what the technology is and not enough of the capability it delivers. And um, Internet of Things is quite an interesting one. Uh, I was working with um, a company in Germany. They're the fourth largest coffee producer in the world. And they wanted to build an Internet of Things coffee machine. Um, and for most people, that sort of sounds a little bit redundant. And why, why would I make a coffee based on my phone? But there's interesting nuances start to happen when you have connectivity to devices. Because these devices start to become your eyes, your ears. They start to constantly learn. Um, about what and usage patterns of where people use your products, what time do they use the products at, what locations are more likely to buy a certain type of coffee bean and use it in their machine. So they can start to optimize all sorts of their business, like everything from how the shelves are stocked in the local grocers right through to the type of beans and offers that they make uh, to their customers. So they're constantly building better services and products for them. So these things become systems that are... Yeah, well, they are systems that are connected to one another, that learn from one another. And, and this is where the exponential aspect of singularities work in my own becomes quite interesting. Because for most people, they have a very linear mindset about how progress happens. For often, people can only sort of see the next obvious step for them or what they believe to happen right in front of them. And and for most people, they're often very resistant to change. They're afraid of change. It feels new. It's different. Uh, And they struggle to adopt it. But the world we're in, especially when we're using technology as a capability, is exponential because learning is compounded. And the volume of learning and information that we get from running experiments and testing these products and services compounds and accelerates and speeds up. Um, And with the advent of more technologies like artificial intelligence and machine learning, it means that we can process more volumes of information and look for different patterns that are not obvious to to, the human eye, so to speak. And and it becomes really, really interesting. And I think, as I said, the topical one at the moment now is the, the impact of blockchain technology, specifically around cryptocurrencies, and how people might start to interact and use money in the future is really quite interesting, uh, and especially because money is such a close topic to people.
1: And These are good examples. Be- before we move on to money, um, you know, when you're talking about IoT devices, it, it would be great, let's say a coffee seller gets all this information, but what about the customers? Do they fear surveillance? Do you think that there'll be countervailing forces that will block the adoption of things like this because of, again, people's fears?
2: I think um, you know people... Oh, if you use people's information voluntary and in a way that helps make their life more simpler, more effective, and that they see benefits from, I think we're, we're conditioned to be okay with that. And you know, you, like, If you think about the social media companies, they have the largest unpaid workforce in the world. People yeah. go onto these sites and they experience the services that they provide them, but they don't pay for them. They pay for them by giving up information about themselves that is monetized to advertising companies, and and that's what what they they pay for with that information that they're willing to share. But I think what you find with products and services and loyalty with customers when things are built really well, that if you create great experiences for them, if you offer them personalized and relevant content to them that is helpful, they value that. And even more, if you open up the system that they can contribute to it and that their contribution can be recognized and rewarded, maybe in terms of discounts or opportunities to become advocates for their products, that actually builds even stronger loyalty. Um, And I think um, we're going to see some really interesting ways about how that interaction between customers and products and services and the companies that provide them starts to evolve. Um, as technology becomes a, a more of an enabler of making people or giving people a platform to be successful and just to give a very low level example you know the advent of social media has given rise and voices to many people who might blog and have now become you know brand representation or representatives for all sorts of companies be it fashion be it products and services that, that primarily used to only be available to famous people. But now these products and services, they want to reach out to influencers, people who have a social currency. Uh, And we're starting to see different types of interactions happen there. And that's very much in the media and and, um, advertising space. But I think we're going to see more of that start to move into more commercial spaces and more of a mode of operation for a lot of businesses.
1: Well, what's an example there? Can you give me... Uh, how an influencer would connect with people maybe more directly and more efficiently for a given product?
2: Yeah, well, I think um, there's some really interesting initiatives happening at the moment. I think the founder of um, Mozilla Firefox is working on a crypto browser. And what they're trying to understand is that previously there has always been an intermediary between the content that you choose to view and how you view that content uh, and uh, an advertiser who's trying to reach the, the customer. Um, so this might manifest itself pretty much in that I log onto a social media application like Facebook. Um, I get to see my friends' photos, but there's a whole load of advertisements that are happening there. And essentially, the advertisers pay the Facebook, and then I get free service for actually accessing Facebook. But I have to look at the content the advertisers are providing. Now. What if you could create systems or browsers where Facebook didn't exist anymore, that there was a direct connection between I could go onto the Internet and view things that I want, and then advertisers would just pay directly into a source that would, if they advertised on the browser that I looked at, that I would get some remuneration for that, that I would be paid to to, to actually look at some of their advertisements directly. And these are some of the opportunities that technologies like blockchain can actually start to provide, that they can disintermediate these companies that have to build these products and services and allow organizations to go directly to customers. And if I want to view certain types of advertisements on my browser, I can be paid money by that advertiser directly. So there's some really interesting nuances that can start to happen here. And I think we're very much only in the infancy of this world. Um, and uh, it's pretty exciting to see some of these things happening.
1: I, I know that um, you worked with, you know, Eric Reese with the Lean Startup. Um, maybe, maybe I don't know if it's even a change in direction. But um, what about corporations? And you know, I know blockchain looks like it's going to decentralize corporations, perhaps change the, the hierarchy and all that. Any comments there on how you see corporations in general changing and the cultures within them, the people within them, <clears throat> the nature of work, those kinds of things? What's coming there?
2: I think the most exciting part about what potentially technologies like blockchain offer is that it can start to represent the trust systems that currently involve a lot of manual processing in organizations. And what I mean by that is a lot of the trust systems that we have for business decision making involves, if I have an idea, I have to go to a committee of people who will review my idea and see if it has merit or not. And if they're happy with that that idea and they believe that I'm a worthy person or character, then they might sign, sign off that, that we could potentially invest some money in this, but they might have to ho- ha- go to another board before things get signed off and reviewed. And if that board was happy, uh, eventually a decision will be made and I'll be allowed to progress and, and move forward with my idea and start to hopefully do some innovation in the business. There's a lot of bureaucracy systems in place to manage trust. And and that's slow, and it takes time, and there's people involved in it, and it's expensive to get decisions made. And this is one of the challenges for most businesses. It's not that they don't have the ideas. It's that the decision-making process to allow people to innovate and move and sign off on things is so slow. Now, when you start to think about how technology could replicate that decision-making process how technology could be used to look at my history and credibility as an individual in the organization and the types of work that i have done or the other pieces of work i had had signed off or succeeded or not. or decision-making forums about whether we should sign off on something or it should be done or it should be moved could be automated This is the type of capability that blockchain can start to to actually um, augment, if not displace. Because all all the information that you might need to understand about who somebody is, whether they're trustworthy or not, whether they should be trusted with an investment, whether they're likely to repay things, all of that information will start to be available to people in a technology system that's open, that's transparent and can be accessed. So a lot of this human sort of bureaucracy and checks and balances starts to become automated, which becomes really powerful then when you start to think about if we want to start to make decisions at speed, that if we want to actually start to unlock innovation in organizations and let people, when they have ideas or opportunities to innovate their business, put them out there and have an automated system that could do the governance checking, it means that we can start to move faster uh, at higher fidelity and at greater speed. And I think these are some of the more interesting use cases for businesses is how can they start to automate a lot of the bureaucracy in their organization and use a system of trust like the blockchain will provide that will allow them to make decisions faster, more frequently, and at any moment in time, the optimal solution for what they might need to do. And that's quite exciting for me and the kind of businesses I'm working with, especially when you start to think about financial services and the amount of governance and slowness of meetings and sign off that's required to get contracts signed, that is required for money to be cleared as it moves us from one bank to another, and between one individual and another. It really starts to become quite interesting when all of those systems can be automated and decisions can be made in, in milliseconds rather than months.
1: Any downsides? to this hyperconnectivity and this <coughs> automated decision-making?
2: I think um, you know, the challenges uh, with any automation is it can change very, very quickly the skills and competencies that is required of people in society. Um, and I think we have to be very aware that some people are in a very privileged position where they have an opportunity to constantly reskill and learn and adapt um, their capabilities to the current world that we're operating in. Uh, for many people, it's very difficult for them to retrain, to try new skills, to develop themselves, or they're not given, companies don't give them opportunities to create spaces for them to do that. So I think it's really important that we recognize that and um, there's a responsibility on all of us to create a space where people can personally develop their skills and constantly improve the way they work, uh, and especially when they're in organizations. There's a responsibility on those organizations to make that space for them. I think it's one of the challenges I see that um, most companies rarely spend enough time investing in their people. They say they're their best asset, but aren't actually giving them the skills and capabilities they need to do that. Um, and I think that's one of the challenges we face is, is, is sort of increase in innovation and automation. People have to learn how to learn again and, and companies need to give them the support and the opportunity to do that.
1: So what's, um, what kind of timelines are we looking at? For some of these innovations, you know, blockchain, for instance, Uh, when do you see it being used in various companies, you know, in a widespread way? When do you see, um, uh, you know, some of the new technologies that are out there that are really promising, uh, you know, customers experiencing them or companies using them en masse? How far out are we?
2: And every time I try to make a prediction, it always seems to carve itself when something new happens. I'm not not great in the prediction business. But what I can tell you is that I work with a lot of the senior leaders in financial services organizations, and they see the opportunity that blockchain provides to bring efficiencies to the way that they transact and send money all over the world. And most of these organizations, if not already, are building different types of transaction protocols on platforms like Ethereum and starting to understand about how they can start to use this technology to collaborate, not only internally in their business, but with other banks. I think um, I'm currently part of an a early-stage consortium that's going to focus specifically on open banking standards. So more and more what we're seeing, especially in Europe, is that all banking data is going to become democratized. There's legislation now that has been passed that anyone uh, can have open access to their banking records available through APIs, mm. which means businesses mm. are going to be able to start to build small products and services on top and um, of these existing sort of infrastructure that the banks already provide and they're gonna to have to make their data available to them. So much like organizations who who is developed products like Mint, where I could mm-hmm. you know, essentially dial into my bank account and, and understand my spending patterns, you're gonna see lots of innovations from smaller startups that are gonna be able to move faster and quicker than the banks to build these really customer rich applications where you can start to you know, have a central source about all your financial management and where you spend your money and what you want to spend it on, or start to make links with insurance companies, or at any point in time, what's the most effective place for you to be saving your money, and quickly be able to move it from one bank to another. You know, you're, What you're going to see is that people are gonna get more in the situation where they can make the optimal decision at any moment in time, get the best benefit from that decision. And whether that's an interest rate um, hike on a savings account that's happening in one bank to another, whether it's an opportunity to save money on your insurance from one insurance company to another, people will have much more opportunity and options about how they can move their money around at speed to maximize the return for that. And I think this is, again, where we're going to see some really interesting things start to happen um, about how people interact. You know, and, and a simple example we've already seen in the insurance area is how Lemonade um, has come in and, and essentially taken away huge proportions of the insurance business from many traditional organisations by building a uh, insurance service that's based around artificial intelligence and making you an offer based on answering 10 to 12 questions. A of premium that you should pay for your area, and this can be done in three minutes. And you've just changed your whole insurance company, and you're up and covered straight away. You know that speed, yeah, that's that quality—it's—it's it's amazing. And that's just that's a that's a product that is uh, you know it's, is out in the market and operating and ex- exponentially powering ahead. So I think more and more, what you're going to see is that the customer is going to have so many more options, and at any moment in time. They'll be, have services that allow them to avail of those options, capture the reward of that option, be it a small increase in a savings percentage, may it be a fluctuation in a currency if you want to try and trade. And I think you know, when you start to augment this with uh, artificial intelligence and machine learning algorithms that you can coach and train your strategies to, all of this stuff starts to become automated in ways that we've never seen before. And I think that's where it gets really exciting about uh, the future and how technology is, again, solving the same problems we've always had. Where do I want to save my money? Where can I get the most return? But it's not asking that question once every two years or every six months. It's asking that question every second and then being able to make decisions that are so frictionless to allow you move your money to these types of locations without even you having to think about it, that starts to become really powerful about what some of these exponential technologies can do.
1: And it sounds like instead of trying to, um, you know, break down the walled gardens of information <clears throat> that a lot of these companies have, where, you know, the initiatives are essentially going around them, going direct to consumer, and just creating a new and better way to interact, you know, like the insurance examples you gave. So then the old players will either adapt or perish.
2: Just the challenge they're all facing. You know, like they're... And this is what makes, I think, our world so interesting. You know, I always say the customer problems remain the same, but technology provides us interesting ways to solve them in a more efficient and effective manner. And just like Lemonade has quickly disrupted the insurance industry by creating a very simple service that you answer 10 questions and suddenly you're given a price and premium to cover your goods straight away, you know, We're going to see more of this happen, not only in financial services, but, but other areas of life, the way that we look for houses, the way that we buy uh, products and services online. I think we're, you know, the skills we've already seen from Amazon in terms of the way that they automate the offers that people are made based on the product that you purchase, here's the recommended products you should buy next. These learning algorithms only get better and better and better over time, and they adapt more to your behavior and your needs. And I think that's going to offer some really interesting value propositions as we go forward. Um, and that's what gets me excited about the way technology is impacting these businesses. And, and I really enjoy working with the leaders of these companies as we explore these technologies, the capabilities they provide, and then ultimately unlock huge amounts of value and opportunity for the businesses in the future. I think um, one of the important things to note, you know, it's not just a case of large organizations being disrupted by startups. and 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 all of them disappear. One of the advantages large organizations have is that they have a huge and rich pool of customers that they can co-create with. And and customers want to build products for uh, banks and services that they really enjoy. Uh, They like using them. And I think one of the aspects that I often find companies miss is this huge opportunity to use customers as part of their product and development process to invite them to help them test out these new products and services, learn what works and doesn't. And the interesting thing about this is it only builds deeper loyalty with your customers. When you invite them to be part of the creation process of the new products or services that you're building, it builds much deeper relationships and loyalty to that product because they feel like they're helping to create it. So I, something to for companies out there to consider, um, that it isn't just the startups, they can, they can leverage some of the advantages they have to, to win.
1: Well, very good, Barry. Um, for people that are interested in possibly working with you, you know, finding about, uh, more about what you're doing, uh, what's the best way for them to get in touch?
2: Yes, yeah, so I think, um, and so you can go to my website. It's uh, barryoreilly.com. Uh, I also am the founder of ExecCamp. Um, Exec Camp is where I get executives to lead their business for up to eight weeks with the goal of launching new companies to disrupt their existing companies. Uh, I've run that program for the world's largest airline companies, banking and retail organizations. This is a great chance for executives and leaders to actually learn what it's like to use these tools and techniques and experiment with what works for them and innovate at scale. So they're the simplest ways and also available on Twitter at uh, Barry O'Reilly. Okay, very good.
1: Well, Barry, thanks for coming on the call. I really appreciate it. And uh, you're the leanest, meanest uh, guy in the industry that I've heard from. So thank you. Thanks very much. The
0: Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Blockchain Super Conference is coming to Dallas, Texas, February 16, 17, and 18 in 2018. If you know of a better way to get the latest insider knowledge about crypto to hear directly from the top minds in this field,